this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath on june 25th after weeks of intense fighting russia managed to take control of severodonetsk the last major city in the lugansk region that was in ukrainian hands While Russia has claimed that this is a major strategic victory, Ukraine has said that they have tactically withdrawn to protect their fighters and regroup in the neighboring city of Lysychansk, which has now become the next big battleground. So, what are the actual implications of the fall of Severodonetsk? Has Russia already expended too much manpower and resources in these victories to be able to make much progress in its military campaign in the longer run? and can ukraine resist the capture of the whole of the donbas region we explore all these questions in today's in focus podcast and we have with us stanley johnny the hindus international affairs editor stanley thank you so much for joining us uh, stanley so the russians from what we can make out from media reports have captured a city that is completely in ruins i may be wrong here but it's not as if they're going to lay their hands on some resources in the city that is going to help their military campaign so how significant really is the capture of severodonetsk is it more political in terms of putin having a military success to show to his domestic audiences or is there really some strategic advantage flowing from the capture of this city sampat i think there is a strategic advantage as well because see if you look at russia's military advances in the east ever since mariupol fell you know the momentum has shifted in favor of the russians and then they were making slow and steady advances in the east and the fall of mariupol actually allowed the russians to free up resources and then focus on the next major city and severodonetsk if you look at the map one thing as you pointed out this is this was the easternmost city that was still in the ukrainian hands and with severodonetsk and which was also an industrial city it was historically known for its chemical and fertilizer plants etc etc founded by the soviets so with this city also under the russian hands so that almost the whole of lugansk region is now controlled by the russians except lysychansk and then now the fall of the city has again allowed the russians to free up more resources and then they can focus on their next target so i think from strategic point of view one thing is that almost all of lugansk is now in russian hands and then secondly now you know earlier the russians had tried to cross the river so if you look at the central donbas region the donets river had become the de facto front line because on the other side of the river the ukrainians had set up defensive positions and the russians had tried to cross the river in the past which they couldn't they met with strong resistance but now at least the river front in the severodonetsk uh, city is now with the russians they can cross the river they can go to the western side of the river so you just look at the map i think strategically and economically and even in terms of landmass the russians have taken a major victory and the mistakes the ukrainians did which i still try to fathom is that the entire east especially the lugansk region had become a cauldron you know the ukrainians never stood a chance to roll back the russian advances at least at this point of time but they still kept sending troops to severodonetsk earlier in mariupol and now in severodonetsk and they kept losing hundreds of soldiers on a daily basis we we don't see many reports about it in the Uh, international press 
uh, barring some statements that came from the Ukrainian leadership, military and political leadership, saying that they were losing up to 200 soldiers a day and some 500 soldiers were getting injured, which means 700 soldiers a day. So, you know, 10 days of fight, uh, they are losing 7,000 soldiers out of the battlefield. That is huge from a Ukrainian point of view, from the point of view of a defensive force. The Ukrainians also took heavy casualties in the last two, three weeks in the East. So they were left with no other option but to withdraw. That's what it happened. And it took time for them to realize that they were left with no other options. That's what is surprising me. So uh, I think from a battlefield point of view, the Russians have taken a major victory. And uh, of course, as you said, they are not going to stop here. Uh, now they are already advancing on Lysychansk from three sides. Right. So coming to Lysychansk, which is Severodonetsk, a twin city across the Donetsk River, I mean, as you already pointed out, I mean, the Russians will be defending it from the other side of the river. And Russia has already lost a lot of men and military vehicles in their previous efforts to cross the river. So now that they more or less control the whole of the Luhansk region, is it really necessary for the Russians to capture Lysychansk, given that you know it is going to cost a lot of resources for them in order for them to make progress in their Donbass campaign? And do you think the Ukrainians will again be able to inflict a lot of damage on the Russians by the time they manage to take control of the Lysychansk city? Yeah, um, so to understand this, the attack on Lysychansk, just look at the Russian military operations on Mariupol and several donuts based on the available facts, what we have. In Mariupol, the Russians took heavy casualties because they were fighting for every inch of the city. And the Ukrainians put up a very strong resistance, you know, because urban conflict is always very, very difficult. And it is Ukrainian territory. They knew the city, they knew the buildings, and they put up a very strong resistance. And it took weeks for the Russians to break through the Ukrainian defensive positions in Mariupol. And they also took heavy casualties there. But in Severodonetsk, the Russian tactics were completely different. They were using artillery to basically blow apart the Ukrainian defensive positions. That is also because Severodonetsk is not as highly populated as Mariupol was. Because if you are using that kind of power on Mariupol, the civilian casualties would be many, many times. You know, Severodonetsk, the Russians initially took over the eastern part of the residential area of the city and then focused on the western part, which is the industrial area. And they basically, they blew apart the Ukrainian defensive positions using artillery. So in Severodonetsk, the Russian casualties were very, very less. They employed a completely different tactic in the city. And then they were, uh, you know, they, they used artillery and they were waiting without moving into the street battle. And they were forcing the Ukrainians to retreat or surrender. And that tactic actually, you know, met with success when the Ukrainian authorities said that they were ordering their troops to retreat. Interestingly, there were reports that they made the order only after the troops fled the battlefield. You know, even Wall Street Journal had reported quoting uh, sources on the ground that uh, the Ukrainian troops had left the battlefield and one day later, maybe to for a face saving, that they ordered its troops to retreat. So the Russian strategy actually met with success in Severodonetsk. And uh, their casualties compared to Mariupol had gone down substantially. Now, you know, you look at the international reports. I mean, the Russians are clearly in, in, a, in an advantageous position uh, in the East at this point of time. And then secondly, when it comes to Lysychansk, 
So earlier, everybody was expecting that the Russians would take on the city and cross the river and attack Lysychansk, which is still happening. They can now cross the river because Lysychansk is now within the artillery range of the Russians. But they were also advancing towards the city from its north and south, from its northeast and southwest. So it is not only from across the city. So Lysychansk is practically being surrounded by three sides. So that's what the Russians are right now doing. So my assessment is that it won't take, given the firepower the Russians have, the Ukrainian troops have been outnumbered. So I think it won't take uh, much time before the Russians encircle the city or before the Ukrainians retreat from Lysychansk as well, because they still they have an opening on the west, but they are being surrounded from the east, south and north. So from three sides, the Russians are moving in, but there is an opening on the western side, they, so they can still retreat. I, I think it won't take much time because the Ukrainians realize that this is a lost battle. And why Lysychansk is important for the Russians? With Lysychansk also under their control, the whole Lugansk is with the Russians. The entire Lugansk province, oblast. And then from Lysychansk, they would, you know, the next battle would be the cities, the parts of the Donetsk oblast that are still uh, controlled by the Russians. Namely, basically, if you look at today's uh, Donetsk, all the major population centers are with the Russians and the pro-Russian rebels, except Karamatorsk. Karamatorsk is another industrial town in Donetsk, like Mariupol uh, in Donetsk or uh, Severodonetsk and Lysychansk in Lugansk. So clearly the Russians want to take Karamatorsk. I mean, look at the map. They can move into Karamatorsk from Poposnaya in the south, which the Russians already control, or Mariupol in the southeast. And they can also move in from Lysychansk. So Karamatorsk is on the other side of the river. So it's important for the Russians to have control of Lysychansk, not only to take over the whole of Lugansk, but also for their next military advances. As you just now pointed out, Donetsk uh, Oblast is also more highly populated. And uh, I think from what I understand, Ukraine controls about two-fifths of the province as opposed to in Lugansk, which I think a large part of it was already with the separatists. Yeah. So do you think the Donetsk battle is going to be much tougher for Russia militarily? You know, uh, I think, yeah, it could it could take time when it comes to taking over the other parts, the remaining parts of uh, Donetsk. Will it be tougher? I'm not sure because I think the toughest battle in Donetsk was in Mariupol. The Ukrainians had their best forces dispatched to Mariupol to defend the city and they were crushed. They were crushed and more than 2,000 soldiers had surrendered to the Russians. They were taken to the Russian controlled parts of the region. So, yeah, Ukraine still can pose a strong resistance. They are getting more weapons from the West. But at the same time, you look at the Ukrainian way of resistance in the East. I think the battlefield momentum at this point of time, is not in favor of the Ukrainian forces. We've been talking about it from day one in all our podcasts, even when there was no much uh, discussion in, in international media about the prospects of Russia losing the war, etc., etc. We kept arguing that if you look at the battlefield, the Russians are making slow but steady gains. And at least in Donbass, you know, at no point of the conflict, the Ukrainians were in a position to roll back the Russian advances. Not in Mariupol, not in Severodonetsk, not in other parts of Lugansk and Donetsk, not even in the south, in Kherson, in the outskirts of Saparishia, 
in uh, in Popasnaya, in Berdyansk, in all these southern and eastern cities, the Russians were making slow progress but steady progress. And in in any of the cities, the Ukrainians managed to roll back the Russian advances. That's a fact. Right. So one of one thread or or say sub thread of the multiple narratives which we uh, get from most of the mainstream press reporting on the Ukraine war, uh, which de facto is the Western press, is that uh, with the enormous amounts of losses of which Russia has been sustaining in these four months of battle, both manpower and resources, and the fact that because of sanctions, they will not be able to replace their munitions and advanced precision missiles and so on. There is just a matter of time before Ukraine achieves some kind of parity, military parity with Russia, because they have lost a lot of manpower and they can't replace their ammunition and arms requirements. How, how do you see this narrative uh, in terms of how valid is it? Do you think Ukraine is within touching distance of achieving military parity with Russia? I don't think so. So Russians, definitely the Russians could also be under pressure. I mean, as he said, I mean, as these reports pointed out, the Russians had suffered huge losses, especially in the uh, initial phase of the battle, in the battle around uh, Kiev and in the battle in Kharkiv. The Russians took casualties, that's true. But is there a chance for the Ukrainians to achieve military parity with the Russians in this war? I don't see that. Because, yeah, they might get HIMARS, they might get multiple launch rocket systems from the Americans, they might get rocket systems from uh, the British. But you need. They're also getting long range, long range rockets, I think, from the US. That's the latest report. Do you think that will help them uh, attack uh, Russian positions uh, from a distance? No, that might, yeah, that might definitely, that might strengthen their defensive positions. They can use them because earlier they were only dependent on some house etas, etc., etc. So, yeah, it could strengthen their defensive position. But my point is that, you know, at the end of the day, if the Russians are fighting a prolonged war, I think the Russians are ready to fight a prolonged war. Because they are making slow progresses, they are not, and their tactic has also changed. From street battles, they have moved to artillery uh, fighting. And if the Russians are ready to fight a prolonged battle, Ukraine also needs manpower, right? So everybody is talking about the Russian losses, which is fine. We have to talk about the Russian losses. I don't see any convincing report in the international press about the losses the Ukrainians have suffered. And some uh, reports say that Ukraine has lost tens of thousands of soldiers since the beginning of the war. The Russians may have, okay, one BBC investigation says the Russians Russians lost some 3,000 soldiers. Plus, you know, forget about the what the MI6 says. MI6 says Russia lost 15,000, 20,000 or whatever. But let's, let's look at the independent investigations. So 3,000 soldiers on the one side and the pro-Russian rebels, they may have lost up to 7,000 militiamen in Donbass and Lugansk. So that make up 10,000 if we take this particular report, BBC report seriously. Uh, but you look at the Ukrainian side, if they were losing 7,000 men out of the battlefield in 10 days, look at the impact the Ukrainians have suffered. So no matter the amount of weapons they, they could be receiving, if the battle is prolonging. If the battle continues, Ukraine also needs manpower. Who's going to send the manpower? Are the Americans going to send the manpower? Are the British going to send the manpower? No. So Ukraine is also in a very, very difficult situation here. I think Ukraine's strategy is, now that this mid-range, mid-to-long-range rockets are also coming, now that they withdrew troops from Severodonetsk, I expect them to withdraw, tro- withdraw troops from Lysychansk as well. I, there was a second you know, front line. One was, of course, 
uh, in the central Donbass region. So Ukraine didn't retreat from the central Donbass region and then they took heavy casualties, heavy losses there. The second battlefront is, just look at the Ukraine's, Ukraine's map, which stretches from Kharkiv to Kherson, roughly dividing the country into two, which means Ukraine would be in a stronger position to defend the western part of Ukraine. I think Ukrainian policymakers now fear that once the Russians take over the Donbass, the war would not stop there. Because the Russians also know that. On the one side, the Russians, yeah, of course, Russians have taken losses. Ukraine has also, Ukraine has lost its best fighting force in the Donbass. So the Russians might not stop in Donbass. They can, they have already started attacking, bombing Kyiv. And they have made progress in uh, Kharkiv. What they made, they made a tactical retreat from Kharkiv. And then, you know, they are now attacking back to take back the city, to take the city. So I think Ukraine fears that the war might not end in Donbass. The war in Donbass is a lost war. So practically speaking, what Ukraine wants is to strengthen the defenses of the western part of the city. And the weapons arriving now, I think the strategic aim is to bolster the defenses of western Ukraine. Right. So uh, Ukraine, if it is uh, actually calculating that Russia might uh, expand its campaign now uh, to the western part of the country, uh, does it mean that Russia's military objectives are not really set in stone? I mean, they seem to be constantly changing. At the beginning of the war, it seemed like they wanted to capture Kiev, but then they met with fierce resistance, so they fell back. Their their uh, whatever their infantry went in a long line and they got bombed out. Then they decided to create a land bridge. Uh, uh, to the Black Sea, which they have with the capture of Mariupol. And now that they have the land bridge, they want to capture the entire uh, eastern Ukraine, but that won't be enough either is what it seems to be looking like. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, I've been thinking the same thing because we don't know what the Russian military objectives are. We, we've been saying this from day one. There is a lot of speculation what Putin wants. Does Putin want Kiev? We don't know. So what does he actually want to achieve? Let's say that, of course, he, he wants Donbass, he wants to take, uh, he wants the military, he wants the land bridge, etc., etc. But eventually, what he is planning to achieve in Ukraine? So, I mean, we don't have any clarity about it. So we can only, uh, you know, have our assumptions. So my assumption is that when the Russians actually started the war, I think they expected, like anybody else, they expected Kiev to fall. So that's why the Russians were not initially prepared for a prolonged battle at the beginning. You know, we saw the logistical issues. The Russians also, they caught surprise in Ukraine. Uh, they met with fierce resistance. They lost men. They lost weapons. That's all because they were not prepared for a prolonged battle. So they understood that this is not going on as per their plan. This is not going to be another uh, Georgia so they, they changed their military tactics. And ever since they changed their military tactics, at least their military objectives, at least in terms of their military advances, the Russians are making steady advances in the east, in Donbass. So after this, what are they going to do? We don't know. Okay, we have Lavrov's statement on the record statement saying that the liberation of Donbass is the utmost priority of the Russian forces, which means, let's say, Donetsk and Luhansk. So Lugansk is practically captured by the Russians. So Donetsk is left. So the Russians would go on taking over Donetsk. And then secondly, you have a senior Russian general who also talked, who also spoke on the record saying that the Russians want to take over the whole of eastern and southern Ukraine, which means Russia wants Kharkiv, 
Russia wants Donbas, Russia wants Lukansk, Russia wants Kherson, Russia also wants Saporishia, and Russia would want Odessa. So if this is what the Russian military planning is, objective is, this is going to be, uh, I don't know when this war is going to over, going to be over. Because uh, unless Russia faces strong resistance on the battlefield, this war machine would draw along. You know, that's what uh, Donbass is telling us. And your sanctions and, and the military support you are sending to Ukraine, nothing is stopping the Russian war machine. So still, what we have is that Ukraine, despite its resistance, despite the support it's getting from the West, Ukraine is still not in a position to deter the Russian forces. So unless they achieve that capability, if at all they achieve that capability, this war machine is going to go on. That's all we can say now. Where the Russians would stop, I don't know. The Russians, I mean, they could be stopped only if, only two ways. One is Ukraine achieving some kind of you know military deterrence capability, which I don't see that is happening at least if you look at the past of this conflict you know the last uh, few weeks of this conflict <laughs> secondly ukraine to, re to restart negotiations with ukraine and find uh, ukraine to restart negotiations with the russians and find some solution which the ukrainian leadership has ruled out and the british are particularly against it you know boris johnson recently went to kiev uh, just a day after uh, two european leaders all three of them favor talks, uh, French, uh, Italian and German leaders, you know, immediately after they went to Kyiv, Boris Johnson went there and made public statements saying that no bad peace deal for Ukraine. So the British are against uh, negotiations. The Americans are also against negotiations. So I don't think Zelensky has nothing much to do here. Uh, so in the outset, what we see is this war grinding on for right. some time. Yeah. Okay, so you spoke a little bit back about what might be the conditions that might be required uh, to fall into place for this war to end or at least for some kind of uh, cessation of uh, conflict. And and from the West's point of view, Ukraine's point of view, they've taken a two-pronged strategy. One is to really arm Ukraine to the teeth, give military aid of every kind that is possible. And secondly, to uh, undercut Russia's war machinery by uh, sanctions, all kinds of sanctions, whatever one can do. But so far, one would have hoped that if the sanctions are working, then the war machine should have had some hiccups. And I mean here specifically to, again, uh, an aspect I referred to earlier as well, their manufacturing. You know, you have to replace the hardware which you are spending at such a fast clip. So uh, how how is Russia going to be, you said they are prepared for a long war, but a long war would mean a continuous consumption of military hardware. And if you are not going to be able to manufacture the required amount which you are spending, and replace whatever you are spending, how are you going to sustain a long war? Are they going to buy them from China or some other country if it is friendly or are they, do they still have the capability to keep their defense manufacturing going? Any thoughts on this? Uh, so let's uh, look at it this way. So given the pace with which the Russians are moving on in Donbass, the Russians do not seem to be in a hurry. That's what the artillery warfare is suggesting. So they seem to be ready to fight a prolonged war. So, which means, I mean, at least to my understanding is that the Russians have, at least to fight a, a medium to long-term war, the Russians have the supplies. Uh, Russia's uh, military industrial complex is pretty vibrant, but they might face issues in achieving, you know, in sourcing uh, high technology uh, chips, etc., etc., 
uh, because of sanctions. But I think uh, what they need for the battlefield advances, the kind of weapons they are using, which the Russians may be able to produce. And you don't see any kind of urgency from the Russian point of view if you look at their battlefield tactics. And whether they would source weapons and munition from abroad, I think they haven't reached that point yet because the Chinese have said that they are militarily they are neutral, only economically they are doing business with Russia. And if they start supplying weapons to Russia, that would trigger uh, maybe sanctions or stronger response from the West, etc., etc. They have ruled it out at least until now. This could change, you know, in a long battle, in a long war, the tactics and strategies could change. But at least at this point of time, I think the Russians do not face any immediate threat of running out of supplies. And they seem to be ready to fight a long battle in Ukraine. And then thirdly, I think this strategy of weakening the Russian economy and the Russian war machine through sanctions and strengthening Ukraine through supplies, that Western approach has not produced any effective result, at least at this point of time. Because you see that despite this twin approach, Russians are making military advances in Donbass and Ukraine kept losing territories. Russia has suffered other strategic setbacks. There is no doubt about it, especially this uh, Sweden and the Finland joining NATO and all in the long run. That is against Russia's own strategic vision and it is a clear setback for Putin. But if you look at the battlefield, the Russians, I don't think the Russians are facing any major challenges at this point of time. Right. We're running out of time. One final question before we wrap up. So this this whole strategy of having sanctions, you know, we don't even we, we don't even allow Russian players. I mean, the West doesn't allow Russian players to participate in Wimbledon even. So they have got a very broad spectrum uh, sanctions approach. So do you think it is uh, rather than impeding Russia's war machine, which is what its claimed objective is, it has ended up affecting Ukraine's friends more than Russia because you have the cost of living crisis coming up in a big way in Germany, uh, in France, in other parts of Europe. So are the sanctions really hurting Ukraine's friends more than its enemies? Yeah, I mean, sanctions are hurting everyone. Russian, of course, Russian economy is expected to contract some 8.5% this year, according to the IMF, whereas the Ukrainian economy has collapsed, 35% contraction. It's collapsed, completely gone. You look at Ukraine and then you look at the West. There is a cost of living crisis, as you said, across the Western economies. Secondly, the United States could fall into recession. The UK is staring into recession. Germany could fall into recession. In France, Macron has already lost parliamentary majority. I know even, in the, even his re-election was relatively tougher than last time because the far right was rising. Even this time. Marine Le Pen, she uh, won more than 80 seats, uh, you know, by contesting the elections alone. The left was also surging in France. So this crisis, you know, clearly the West is not able to handle the consequences of both the war and the sanctions they imposed on Russia. Because Russia is not Iraq. That is the problem. Russia is not Iraq. You can't continue to economically, you can punish Russia like this for a longer period. There will be repercussions for everyone. It is the world's largest wheat exporter. It is the world's one of the largest uh, fuel uh, producers and exporters. How can you quarantine such a country? You look at one example. European Union initially 
despite the internal infighting etc etc they held the multiple rounds of talks and then finally agreed to phase out russian uh, oil by 90% and also they decided to impose a ban on european insurers from selling cover to tankers carrying russian fuel that was the earlier decision and then the united states opposed it the united states that is trying to mobilize public opinion in the west because the united states found that if European Union bans its insurers from carrying Russian oil, then that would mean that the oil prices would spike further and that would bring down the global economy. And then the United States, as well as other G7 countries, what they discussed yesterday was to come up with a compromise formula, which means you put a cap on the Russian fuel. So, and then you allow the European companies to sell cover to tankers that are carrying Russian fuel at this particular price. So their goal is not to let Russia reap economic benefits out of the fuel prices, while at the same time allowing Russian fuel to reach the global market because they don't want to take the Russian fuel out of the global market completely because everybody is going to suffer. So this is what is happening behind the scene, right? So I think this is uh, in order to punish Russia, they are punishing themselves. So they are punishing everybody. And do you think the Russian president doesn't know this? The Russians know this. That is also one of the reasons the Russians are ready to fight a long battle because the winter is coming and Europe's position would be in a much more precarious situation once the winter is in. They would need, they need Russian gas. Even now, everybody is talking about uh, only Russian oil. Nobody is talking about Russian, Russian gas, right? So uh, this is a very complicated picture. Right. I mean, the winter is coming does have an ominous ring to it yeah. so far as Europe is concerned. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and not just Europe, I think for everybody uh, all over the globe. And uh, also, I think the longer this war goes on, it's going to become more and more difficult for everyone. And I think that larger perspective seems to be missing because the West is still focused on winning the war rather than cessation of hostilities. We'll come back to this topic once again. Thank you so much, uh, Stanley, for sharing your thoughts and insights. Thanks. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Amsa. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.